Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecock, Three and Out Podcast. Pads are popping. Football is flying. Whistles are blowing. The NFL is back, baby. Every team in the league playing a little football all over America. And we talk about it right here. What I will do today, here's the plan. We got a podcast yesterday that's out right now, clearly, because it's yesterday. We got a podcast today. And I, th- I think the plan, I'll probably do another one Wednesday. We'll just keep the content flowing I- as well as Friday. I think there's a, there is a, a Hall of Fame game Thursday. I don't know if we're reacting to the Hall of Fame game. Probably not, actually. But uh, uh, we, we will definitely do a podcast on Friday. Today's plan is this. Mike Sando wrote his yearly quarterback tier article. I, I dive into some thoughts there. Shane Steichen is getting a welcome to the NFL as a head coach moment. Unlike being a coordinator, it's a tad bit different. We will dive into the Colts stuff there. And just some thoughts overall on on the changing dynamics for a team once the pads come on. Trying to evaluate your younger players. We will also do a mailbag. And the way you get in the mailbag is you fire into my DMs. At John Middlecoff. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. DMs wide open. Fire in them. Interact. Very, very easy to do. So, a couple housekeeping things. Subscribe to the pod. If you listen on Collins' feed, greatly appreciate everyone that listens to the 3 and Out feed. Keep subscribing to that feed. Obviously, it's on YouTube as well. We have some merch. FlexFit hats right now. Go to thevolume.com. Get yourself a 3 and Out. Either We got trucker hats. We got FlexFit hats. I just ordered a bunch. of sporting one today. Feel good. Feel good. Play good. Look good. And, uh, and yeah, we'll just keep the content flowing, so let's enjoy football. But first, go to your smartphone and download the GameTime app. It uh, just happens to be the fastest-growing ticketing app in America. Also happens to be the uh, official ticketing app of this show. I've used them. A ton of you listening have used them. I can't recommend them enough. If your baseball team right now is in the mix, trade deadlines going on, and you want to see... You ever been to a playoff baseball game? I've been to several with the Giants. And it's incredible. I mean, there's playoff baseball is an intense environment. If you have the opportunity in the city you live in to go to one, do it on me. Download the Game Time app. Promo code John, $20 off. Get you a discount. Promo code John. Get to a playoff baseball game. Get to a football game. Go see Taylor Swift and get my discount. Game Time app. Download it. Promo code John. 
Okay, the quarterback tier article. And what I love about, you know, the old school journos that know a lot of guys in the league is the unfiltered opinions they get. This is my issue with Rodgers and Sean Payton is that we don't get it enough. But that's how people talk. When you go to these meetings, personnel meetings, when coaches interact with each other on the same staff, when executives call, they're constantly talking shit about either other coaches, other executives or players. And sometimes being positive, but there's just a lot of shit talking. Welcome to any industry. If you had any multiple CEOs talking about whether it be their employees, whether it be a rival companies, it's just how we talk. It's how we interact. It's it's just very, it's a basic human nature. And I love when we get it. And the only time you really get it in written pieces anymore, uh, and really probably ever, is with anonymous sources. But the one thing with Mike Sando is he not only knows coaches on every team and executives on every team, he has a comfort level with them to get just really, really spicy quotes. And he puts these quarterbacks in a tier. It's on The Athletic, uh, which somehow I still got a free subscription. New York Times hasn't got me because I used to write for him years ago. And I I don't pay for it. So, I'm listen, I highly recommend it. I would if they eventually boot me off. But fantastic content. Covers every NFL team and obviously this article. And basically, they put the top, there's four tiers. The sweet guys are in tier one. A lot of sweet guys are in tier two as well. What I did is basically take the most fascinating group, which is tier three, and I added some of the tier two guys on there. Because tier one is Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Herbert, Rogers. You know, I I don't really have anything to say on those guys. And then Jalen Hurts, Lamar, and Trevor Lawrence. I think that group of eight players and Jalen, Lamar, and Trevor Lawrence were viewed in Tier 2, are all going to be in the playoffs. I I view all those guys, obviously Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, feel like playoff locks. I think the Chargers will be back. I expect the Jets to make the playoffs, Eagles to make the playoffs, the Ravens, you know, I I think they should be in the playoffs, and definitely the Jags to win that division and be in the playoffs. And then I took several other players from Tier 2, Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, and Kirk Cousins, as well as the entire Tier 3. And I wanted to dive in and just give my thoughts on that group because I think that group is going to dictate a lot of this season, right? We know Mahomes is going to be sweet. We, we know Joe Burrow or Josh Allen could easily win the MVP. I expect Trevor Lawrence to just establish himself as an elite player. I think Rodgers is going to bounce back. Jalen is just good. Same with Lamar if he's healthy. But I think this next tier is the most fascinating tier. I did not include Kyler Murray in this group just because he's injured. And who knows? I don't even think it's a guarantee. He plays this year. I think it's just unknown. I've given enough opinions over the year on Kyler Murray, given that he's not playing and it's just all words right now and we have no clue when he's coming back and there's not even a guarantee that he will play. I just, I don't have anything to say on it. But let's start with Matt Stafford, who's in tier two. And when he's healthy, I've always liked Matt Stafford. I tend to like big arm quarterbacks. I don't tend. Those are the guys I like. I like big arm quarterbacks. And I'm glad that he got his opportunity in L.A. and made the most of it. Last year, he was horrendous. I mean, he he really was. Now, part of it, the elbow injury, I think the question mark, and they talked about this with the unnamed sources because Sando talks to defensive coordinators. He talks to executives. At this point in time, with as rich as he is, he refused to redo his contract. Is he just kind of in effort mode? And he plays like that sometimes, throws a bunch of picks. My issue is not with the player. I can live with the picks because he throws a lot of touchdowns. My issue is the health. Once you start having elbow issues, we saw with Ben Roethlisberger, his arm was a shell of himself. 
What really separated Matt Stafford was never pinpoint accuracy. He wasn't Peyton Manning or Drew Brees. He was kind of like a poor man's Detroit version of Brett Favre. And McVay got the most out of that in that playoff run to win him a Super Bowl. Well, when his elbow starts to go, I'm sorry, I'm kind of out. And I expect, I just, I have a hard time assuming that he's just going to be healthy moving forward. He's always a guy that's kind of battled injuries. Once that elbow, I, I get very, very nervous. Dak Prescott. You know, if you just gave me two guys, like I'm more of a Dak Prescott guy than a Matt, or excuse me, I'm more of a Matt Stafford guy than a Dak Prescott guy because I like the big arm. Though, I appreciate Dak has a lot of, obviously, Stafford qualities. High-level teammate, high-character guy, you want him around. His arm's just kind of average. And part of the reason he throws a lot of picks, in my opinion, or did last year, is because if he's a tick-off, he throws a very, very pickable ball. Now, I think the Cowboys are really good. I expect them to compete with the Eagles for the division. And I think Dak, you know, I I don't view him as a guy that's ever going to win a Super Bowl. But sometimes you just have, you know, the season that, it's just your outlier season. Cam Newton had one of them. Or maybe you have one of those playoff runs. Eli's had a couple of them. So I'm not acting like this guy has no chance. Like Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, never going to win a Super Bowl. We'll get to him in a second. But Dak Prescott, like I do think there could be a magic moment. He just goes on in December and January that he'll never duplicate. And the Cowboys are just all of a sudden in the NFC Championship game for the first time in 25 plus years. Because they have a lot of things that you need to be really good. Right? Defense, very physical. Pass rush, awesome. Impact offensive players, they got it. Good coaching staff, definitely. Mike McCarthy, say what you want about him. I, I think he's proven to be pretty solid. Now, is he good enough in the playoffs? We've talked about that before. Time will tell. But I think he's one of the great kind of swing guys this season. Right? Does he bounce back and have a little bit better of a season and get hot at the right time? Because last year, listen, it was clear Tampa sucked. But when he has that five touchdown games, like the greatest statistical performance of his career, you're like, can he parlay this? And then he runs in the 49ers, and the answer is no. Deshaun Watson, to me, totally fascinating. I had someone, I think, DM me, like, have you seen his TikTok? I'm like, you know, I can only do so many social media platforms. That was one that never really got going with me. So, no, I haven't seen him. And this guy's like, it's a little weird. And listen, like Deshaun Watson after the massage therapy thing, like we got the guy red flag. But as a player, I always thought he was a little overvalued. Like I would never viewed him as a top five guy, but he was clearly really good. Now, is he 230 million good? No. But is he as bad as the guy we saw? One comment in this tier article from a defensive coordinator that played him last year was basically like he stunk versus us. He looked like a guy that was really shaky. And I think the question mark is, Is that just all the time off? Was that all the pressure? Was that just everything surrounding him? Or is this a guy that those days in Houston, he's not going to be as good? And the one thing a couple executives said that his talent level, you know, he should be able to get it back. I don't know. My opinion on it would, I would expect it to continue to be weird. I would not feel comfortable like betting on the Browns, but him specifically to just be some elite player again. Could be wrong. Time will tell. But I would bet on it continuing to just be really weird. Bad as we saw last year? Probably not. Hard to be that terrible. I mean, in that stretch of games, he was probably one of, if not the worst quarterback in the NFL. I don't expect that. But is he more likely to be like the 15th best quarterback or the 6th? I'd probably bet on 15. Uh, Cousins. If you watch the quarterback documentary, he's an easy guy to root for. He's better than we all think. But has some limitations. Athletically, never going to be able to pull things out of his you-know-what. 
right? But I think he's maximized everything he's had. He's made a ton of money. I expect him to have another good statistical year. We'll see if their team can be better. I think they got Brian Flores, their defensive coordinator. I'm a guy that's writing him off as a team, but maybe that's stupid. Wouldn't stun me if they win 10 games. Uh, Just an easy guy to kind of, we know what to expect. Like we know what to expect with Cousins, yet with Dak, and I just said it, like our expectations are higher, maybe because he's a better athlete, doesn't have a better arm. Uh, I think both those guys are just falling into the same category. Dak feels more likely to rattle off playoff wins if he's ever able to pull that off than Cousins, but you know, time will tell. Then there's this group of, oh, last but not least on this group, Russell Wilson is just fascinating, right? To me, last year, was he injured? Was he fat? Was he just feeling himself? Uh, did he just play poorly because of the coaching? I, I don't, I think a lot of us are searching for answers because we've never seen anything quite like that. But I heard Sando today with Coward that like three straight years, him trending down with the votes. So Sean Payton can either save his career or we're looking in like two years, this guy not being the starting quarterback at Denver, he's going to be a huge story just because his coach never shuts up and makes him a good story. Then there's two guys, Carr and Goff. You know, Jared Goff was a guy that everyone made fun of a little bit like Derek Carr last year with the Rams. Even his head coach, Sean McVay, was openly talking shit about him. Now, later he regretted it to Silver, but it was kind of, an I don't want to say embarrassing because, like I said, I always... Uh, I would say support saying what you believe, but you know, it feels like when a guy's on your team and you might have to play him, just totally taking a dump on his career and his current ability is probably not always the best idea. But McVay did it, they traded him two years later. Jared Goff had one of the best years of his career. You listen to Dan Campbell, they are very high on him. I'm gonna pick the Lions to make the playoffs. All of a sudden, you're looking at is Jared Goff gonna be the starting quarterback for the Lions for several years? Kind of what it feels like, and then Derek Carr. Last year was pretty embarrassing. I'd argue since he really started playing, like after his rookie season, that's the worst year of his career. That that was a joke. Now, is it Josh McDaniel's fault? Was the offense too complex? Were they not on the same page? I don't know. But what I do know, zero excuses not to win the division this year with the Saints. Zero excuses to not be the best quarterback in that division. Zero excuses to not be a really solid player for the Saints with that team and be a playoff team. You should win the division. Like there's just, there's no excuses for him. Jared Goff, Derek Carr, no excuses. Then there's this weird group, right? Tua Tonga Vailoa. Can they block for him? That's my question. He's not a good athlete, right? We're not looking at Deshaun Watson or even Dak Prescott. Definitely not a Kyler or Lamar. So if you can't block for him, he's kind of a sitting duck, as we saw. Now, I know he's done Taekwondo. He's trying to avoid all this hitting the ground. I'm a big believer. Listen, I'm pro I tweeted it this weekend because I'm watching UFC. I went to college. I didn't know what wrestlers were. I mean, I knew what wrestlers were, but I'd never been around just the craziness of them. I get to Cal Poly. It's where Chuck Liddell went to school and Chad Mendez was my class. That group of wrestlers for about four or five years was kicking the shit out of everyone at parties. You realize very quickly, do not mess with, and a lot of them are small. Do not mess with the little guys. Stay away from, them, especially if they've had a few beers, right? These guys are crazy ass kicking machines. So there's talent in the wrestling, in Taekwondo, the ability like that training. I I will never, ever try to diminish how legit all that stuff is. But when it comes to football and I'm Aaron Donald or I'm Nick Bosa or I'm Miles Garrett and I get my hands on you as a quarterback who is looking down the field, it's one thing as a fighter, you know, it's coming. It's another thing. The guy coming from your blind spot or up the middle, nothing you can do. 
Like, I, I don't believe that's really going to help him. They can either block for him or they can't because he's not some mobile player. Now, when he's been on the field and was healthy last year, given their weapons, I'm not the biggest Tua guy. Not the, not a big arm. Look, kind of feels a little lollipoppy to me. But he was really productive. The scheme worked. I just don't have any faith that he can stay on the field. And that's where, like, when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, same thing. Like, he's just a guy that always gets hurt. <laughs> and, uh, like, I'm expecting him to go to the Raiders and just play 17 games. I don't see it. I, I would just, I'm not rooting for this. I hope these guys stay healthy. But I would say history would say that Jimmy Garoppolo and Tua Tonga-Vailoa, it is going to be an upset if they don't get injured. If Jimmy goes down, Raiders are done. Like, it's over. Fucked. If Tua goes down, could they win some games with Mike White? I think so. I mean, Mike White was competitive with the Jets. You don't think he can be competitive with Tyreek Hill, with Jalen Waddell, uh, with that offensive coordinator? I, I do. So I, I think the Dolphins have a better backup plan because the Raiders don't have one. And then there's a, a couple guys that got paid. Daniel Jones. Uh, they add Darren Waller, who, if healthy, is a stud. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, I think his name is, the wide receiver from Tennessee, I think recorded the fastest time in like NFL history at practice, like 25 miles an hour or something. Guy can fly. Uh, battled some injuries throughout his college career, but speed demon. So they've added weapons. You got Saquon in a good mindset. A lot of pressure on Daniel Jones. You start making 40-plus mil a year, We've seen it with Dak. We've seen it with Cousins. I know Cousins makes a little less, but you get my point. Like We start talking about you a little different. Last year, Daniel Jones was like the little engine that could. This year, it's like, can you play like a pro bowler? Can you throw for 27, 28 touchdowns? Because if you can't and you miss the playoffs, this is just the way it works. Everyone's going to shit on you. Uh, then there's this group of Ryan Tannehill, who I think is a lame duck guy. And I know Titans fan get, fans get on me, but his replacement's in the building. And I, I just, at this point in time, I'm... Ready to be proven wrong, but I'm betting against him. I would expect that we see Will Levis sometime this year. I just think that it's inevitably over for Ryan Tannehill, who's had a solid career and was better than I ever thought he would be. But I think this is the beginning of the end once the season starts. And then two guys from the same draft class, Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Starting with Mac Jones, like, can he save Belichick's career? That's kind of what he needs to do, I think. Because if he's not good and they go 7-10... and 10, Bill Belichick being fired, mutually departing, however we want to say it. I'm pro Bill Belichick overall as a coach, but sometimes once you get over 70, you're not winning. Like, welcome to the business. Uh, but if Mac Jones is good, one issue I've seen, and even if we throw away last year, as a rookie, sometimes Mac, because he's like a better athlete than Cousins, but a lot like Cousins, he doesn't make off-platform, off the script of the exact play when he tries to freelance. You know, like Herbert, Allen, Burrow, even the Kylers, Lamars, Jalen's, like they can kind of freelance and make shit happen. Not really Mac Jones's thing. So I'm going to be fascinated to watch him and Bill O'Brien work. Their offensive skill guys aren't great. I mean, they're thinking about bringing in Zeke. Fascinating one. And then last but not least, whenever a new GM and new head coach come in, and this speaks for every position, including quarterback, when I don't draft you, it's when you're a young player, my initial reaction based on your film, if it's just questionable, right, is going to be what I thought of you coming out. And even if I liked you coming out, you eventually, once I'm on the job, have to either kind of win or like you got to get get it done. And one thing we've seen with Justin Fields, elite runner of the football, elite athlete. We knew that anyone that followed his college career, big time athlete. 
I loved him coming out of college. I would have taken him number two overall in that draft. When Trevor Lawrence went one, I'm like, wait, you're going to take Zach Wilson? At BYU, they play nobody. Trey Lance didn't even have a season. And Mac Jones is like, Kirk Cousins reincarnated. You're not going to take a chance on Justin Fields. I'm pro-Justin Fields, the prospect. But eventually, prospects turn into players. And what we've seen so far, it hasn't been good enough throwing the ball. Because the only way for them to go all in on this guy after this season, one, they got to win games. And two, to win games, you got to pass in this league. Now, you don't need to throw 300 yards every game when you can run, but he's going to have to have some 250, 275-yard passing games. He's, if they're better this year, they're going to be just because it's the NFL, 17-17, fourth quarter, third and nine. Look, you completing the pass or you're not? I don't know. And that's what's fascinating about the NFL. That's what's fascinating about the quarterback position. Like, ultimately, Jared Goff last year started doing it, right? And the reason the guys are in tier tour, Cousins can do it. Dak can do it. Obviously, Stafford, when healthy, can do it. That's how you kind of move up in tiers. And if you're not able to do it, it's where you trend down. And then in a year, you're not on the team anymore, and they're drafting a quarterback. So that tier of kind of group of guys, like, I know the top guys are sweet. <laughs> I'm expecting more fireworks from all those guys, right? But it's that kind of group of tier, and especially the high end, like Dak, most eyes are on him, I would say. Uh, but then even through the Genos, like, is Geno just going to replicate what we saw last year? Like, is, is that going to happen again? Duplicate? Is he going to throw 30 touchdowns? So 60 touchdowns in two years? I don't know. Watching the, uh, or excuse me, reading the article, one, I think, defensive coordinator said he didn't think it was a fluke. I don't know. I mean, their team's pretty good. Uh, they definitely, it looks like Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be an excellent player. Witherspoon, like they've added good young talent over the last couple of years. Uh, even though Charbonnet, the running back from UCLA, I think I saw a headline, he got injured. But that's part of football. If Walker's healthy, the offense is situated. He, he's an easy guy to root for. But I'm just kind of fascinated by that entire group of the middle tier of NFL quarterbacks. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I always say this, and I, I believe this to my core, is that just, and I understand why people in a coordinator position want to be a head coach. It's It pays a lot more. Now, being a coordinator in the NFL pays a lot of money. They're all making seven figures, and a lot of them make two, three, four million dollars. But being a head coach immediately gets you a four or five year contract at seven, eight million dollars starting. Right. And then if you're good, that goes to 12 quickly. It changes. You become player rich. I mean, that's that's the, that's what it is. And you're 40, 45 years old. So you're more equipped to, you know, handle the money. Right. So it's I can't even imagine being a 23 year old kid and getting 50, 60 million dollars. The dumb things I would buy. You are much more equipped to handle money the older you get. So these coaches that are in this position, uh, it's game-changing money in the NFL. But you get paid a lot more for a reason. It is a lot harder to be a head coach. When I'm a coordinator, offensive or defense, and a player on my side of the ball, let's say a running back or a defensive lineman, whoever, gets a DUI, has a contract dispute, shatters a leg, whatever, kind of out of my control. Right, It's not my choice who we pick to replace that player. I don't have to get in front of the press if it's something really bad, right? A domestic dispute uh, a couple years ago when Ruggs got in the thing. like The head coach is the guy in front of the cameras when it's the ugliest or when it's just the most adversity and has to answer the questions. The coordinators just do not. A head coach talks Wednesday, on Friday, and then again after the game. And it's smart. In the NFL, coaches are, especially a large percentage of them, are very famous. And they, they're they huge characters in this whole television show that is professional football. So you want them to talk as much as possible. Coordinators talk once a week. Talk once a week on Thursday. And Belichick doesn't even let him talk. He talks for him. But Shane Steichen, who is a guy I'm rooting for, he's from Sacramento, played college football at UNLV, I've kind of been following his career ever since he was with the Chargers. What he did with the Eagles was awesome. I mean, as a coordinator, the guy was an ass kicker. And that's a big reason he got hired, right? He proved that he can scheme the offense and work with the quarterback, which as a coach is the most valuable skill you can have. But when you become the head coach, the moment your owner, who has you know a history of drugs, who's kind of a loony, starts publicly creating chaos with your star running back, That's now your problem. Like, if that happened in Philly, that's on Howie and Sirianni. You just have to figure out, next man up, scheme the offense. Now you have to answer for it. And every question you get, probably until this is resolved in a press conference, is what's the latest with Jonathan Taylor? What's going on with Jonathan Taylor? Have you spoken with Jonathan Taylor? Have you spoken with Mr. Ursay? Like, you don't really get that as the coordinator. Because ultimately, as the coordinator, maybe an agent texts you about, like, I love what you're doing with my guy, or Felt whatever. As you're the coach, the agent is texting you like, figure out, get my guy, figure out this problem. Help my guy get paid. Like, can you fix this problem? It's on your shoulders. So th- there is no, I, I gave Gudikins a lot of credit last year with the Rogers situation. They don't teach you that as the SEC scout or as the pro personnel director. You might have a front row seat because you see your GM dealing with it, but ultimately it doesn't fall on your seat. There is no training ground for these situations, right? When Pete Carroll or Andy Reid or Bill Belichick or Mike Tomlin or any of these coaches that have been around forever get a crazy-ass situation, they've dealt with it before. 
Not that it's comfortable because it never is. Not that you want to deal with it. You don't. You want to be coaching football. But let's face it. Anytime, I don't care anyone listening to this, in whatever profession you're in, anytime you have experience going through shit in that industry, you kind of at least know what to expect or know how to manage it and get through it the next time you see it. You're more comfortable with dealing with the chaos. But the first time that you deal with the chaos, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be as a football coach, or whether it be as a doctor, I don't blame you if it's a little overwhelming. And I can't imagine Shane Steichen is like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not the boss. I want Jonathan Taylor around. Clearly, we're better with him. I kind of agree we can't overpay this guy, but I'm going to be a better coach if he's in the backfield with my rookie quarterback, who I'm trying to nurture, who I'm trying to improve. I sent that that picture or that video that went viral the other day to one of my buddies in the league. I'm like, look at this. And he's like, yeah, we all know that he can do that. Can he just complete basic routes? Like his problem has been the layup throws. No one questions the, the physical capabilities to do all the freakish shit. It's can he just hit an out route on third and seven? Like, yeah, well, that's Steichen's job to have him corralled and mentally prepared and physically ready to go in that situation. It's easy to do with Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. And because of Ursay creating all this public chaos, which is just not really healthy for anyone beside Jim Ursay to kind of vent it out, which, like I said, he's not totally wrong, but handling it that way just makes it more difficult on your rookie head coach. So buckle up. This is why they pay you the big bucks. And last but not least, uh, the pads. I hear a lot of people uh, around football that say, you know, everyone gets so excited about guys and OTAs and early on in training camp and none of it matters. I'm like, yeah, well, I've been to these practices, working in the NFL, doing what I do now. You can only get excited about what you see. We're all humans. Whether you're Mike McCarthy or Andy Reid, whether you're a fan, whether you're a GM, right? You're at practice, shorts and t-shirts, and a young guy's making plays. It's human nature to go, we might have something. You don't say, we have something, you go, we might have something. But the thing in football that is different than all these other sports is you can't, like even in golf, right? I can play a real round of golf at the course that I'm going to play in a tournament. In basketball, we can play five on five. In baseball, even if I only got two people, if one's a pitcher and one's a hitter, we can simulate ABs. I can't play football without the pads on and have it actually be football. It's different. And you could argue even in this modern day camp, no one actually tackles to the ground. So it's not even actually what you'll see in these preseason games and definitely in the regular season. But there is a physicality element to the line of scrimmage, to linebackers, to running backs that do you want the contact or do you not? Do you rise to the occasion or do you not? And veteran players, the tape speaks for itself. We know what you are when you play if you're physically ready to go. Young players especially rookies or second-year practice squad guys, it is an enormous time because there are so many players around the league, whether they be first-year rookie guys, second-year practice squad guys, that you go, God, I, I think we might have a rotational wide receiver. I think we might have found our right guard. I think we might have our backup pass rusher. And then the pads come on, and you realize you don't. And right away, you know, listen, that time, that was real, what we saw, but that doesn't really matter because now the pads are on and it's not the case. And same thing with the flip side, right? You're excited, you're excited, and then the guy gets pads on 
and he keeps kicking ass. Now, there's a whole nother level to the actual games. Once you start factoring in scheme, once you start factoring in getting coached and playing injured and the, the length of an NFL season. But you start learning over this next week, guys, that you have a chance, young players, to contribute this year, right? And really work with from a physicality standpoint. And it's, it, it's what makes it fun. And GMs, you know, most of your time watching the film, obviously, it you can pick any team, right? You're starting guys, maybe a guy or two you're looking to replace. But for the most part, you have a pretty good idea, especially if you're a decent team, all your returners, who's going to play, do they look good? Do they look like they've maintained, whether it be uh, just their health, their speed, their explosiveness, whatever the position, their strength. But the young guys, you don't really know what you got until they start playing. And then maybe you go, God, let's let's take a look at so-and-so, this backup linebacker, with the first group. The second-year guy that last year we drafted in the fourth round that spent last year on the practice squad. Could he be a starter? He didn't have the chance, but we lost a guy in free agency, and he's been running with the twos. Maybe you should get a little more because you've already been thinking it with the with the T-shirt and helmets on, but it doesn't really matter till this starts. And it's what makes it fun. And it's really what leads us right into the season. Best sport in the world. Okay, let's dive into the Middlecoff mailbag. Here's what you do. You go to Instagram at John Middlecoff at John Middlecoff and you fire in those DMs. Very, very easy to get your questions answered on the show at John Middlecoff, fire in those DMs, and then we'll interact with the people. Big Broncos fan, Tim Patrick. I read that he was carted off the field. It's an Achilles. I think Sean Payton said that. The question pretty much, uh, the guy pretty much kept the offense afloat before Russell showed up. I have a question regarding the salary cap. If TP ends up on the pup list and he is out the whole season, isn't there a rule or something about the salary cap? For example, if Patrick costs $10, now, if he's on the IR list, is he only cost the Broncos five against the salary cap? I'd have to get like Howie Roseman or Parag Marate on the phone to get some salary cap experts. I, I know typically in a contract, if you're on, like, let's just say, let's pick an even number, because I, I think uh, I think I saw Patrick's salary was like $7.7 million this year, and his dead cap's like 10. Uh, now, waiving players injured, I there there are a lot of, logistical rules with the cap that I, I can't pretend to know, but I'm pretty sure with the salary, if you don't work, right? If you're on IR all season, like if you're a legitimate player, I can waive. I, they waive a lot of like undrafted free agents and late round picks injured, like whatever you did, you come to some settlement. It's usually a small number, but when you're talking $7 million and, and a guy that clearly the Broncos like a lot, typically you just owe them half or there might be a set number in the contract. So if he's scheduled to make, just pick $8 million. I think it was a little less than that. You know, you usually make four, which, you know, makes sense because you're not actually doing the work, though you got hurt on the job, so you are compensated. Uh, where it gets, yeah, it sucks. I mean, it's just it's the worst part of the game. The injuries, really nothing you can do. And, uh Yeah. Hey, John, just listen to today's episode, and at one point, I think it's fair to raise regarding the Hackett urban media portrayal. Hackett essentially proved he couldn't hack the job, while urban proved that but also welcome buckets of controversy, bar situation, personal issues with players. I agree with your overall stance of straight talk, but I feel like it's a fair to point out. I'm not saying they did the same thing. 
right? Ur- Urban Meyer, Nathaniel Hackett is an NFL assistant coach, right? That's what he is. And, and it's a great job to have. I say it all the time. Some guys are meant to be coordinators. Luckily, in 2023, it pays two, three, four million dollars, right? I mean, it pays a Josh McDaniels is making like six million dollars in New England, pays a boatload of money. If Todd Bowles can't hack it as a head coach, ultimately it sucks, but not everyone's meant to be the A guy. Some people are B's, right? There's in a big office building, I say this all the time, there are only so many corner offices, a lot of cubicles in the middle, a lot of bathrooms that need to be cleaned. We all have different roles. We, we just do. That's the way society works in any industry. And I, I think Urban Meyer is a college coach only. Got laughed out of the league. Hackett just got laughed out of being a head coach. He's going to be a coordinator. We'll see how he does this year. A lot of eyeballs on him, obviously. But I, I would agree. It's not. I'm not comparing them as persons, as people, right? The, the person, if you can separate Hackett and Urban. Urban, I think it's fair to red flag as a human being, right? Questionable scumbag. No one considers Nathaniel Hackett a bad guy just over his head being the head coach, which it's fun to argue about head coaches, right? We do it all the time. Who's good? Who's bad? Who is overrated? Who's underrated? Like we can argue about Mike McCarthy all we want. How good is he? I know he's pretty good. Is he good enough to win playoff games now in Dallas? Like I'd probably bet against it, but he's definitely probably underrated from the way we used to talk about him. Now that he's rattling off double digit win seasons without Rodgers. Right. I think we'd all kind of agree. And even a diehard Cowboy fan probably doesn't have a top 10 coach. I mean, Dak can have top 10 weeks, but over the course of the season, I mean, you guys dealing with the 10th to 12th quarterback in the NFL and winning a bunch of games like he's pretty good. Now, the way we judge you is in the playoffs and he's got beaten two years in a row by Kyle Shanahan. This year is going to be big, right? Could he win the division? Can he win in the playoffs? But I think it's a fun part. But when you get run out after one season and don't even make it through the season, and there were different circumstances, like you said. Urban had the issue when he didn't fly back with the team, went to the bar, was touching the chick's ass, uh, which I always defended him in the sense that like everyone was acting like he was a scumbag for doing that. You, you can never assume people's marriages are all over the place. Open marriages, rich people do weird things. Us normal peons in society, one woman, you just kind of lock in. That's the way the world works. It's not the way the elites work. So I, I think you're quick to judge. Heard more stories about being around some of these people. You just never know. You just never know. So you might read some things on the internet like, this seems crazy. No, it's probably true. <laughs> right. And so uh, uh, I didn't judge him so much for the actions, more just the guy's a clown. And thinking a guy that had never coached the NFL was going to have success, spotted that one from a mile away. I know we got a lot of new listeners, but that's. That's one of my uh, one of my favorite nail takes that I've ever had. When it comes to Hackett, he was just hired for Rodgers. And Rodgers, for whatever reason, decided to take Green Bay's money and refused to go to Denver. And then they went to option B, and it was a failure. But it was also, he was terrible. I mean, really, really bad. From a football standpoint, people didn't act like he treated people bad or any of that stuff, which there's something to be said. Started listening to your podcast recently and enjoy your viewpoints and share the opinions you give. Sounds like a smart guy. My question is on the Colts. Now that Jonathan Taylor requested a trade, recently we have seen the main running backs coming out of their contract issues. Colts have an owner that isn't afraid to say anything he has on his mind. What's the likelihood the Colts trade him and what kind of market is out there for JT? Also, wouldn't Taylor and Richardson, if he pans out, be a backfield to be reckoned with? This is why the situation is very touchy. 
We talked about it earlier on the show. You have a rookie quarterback who is the ultimate project, right? And he said something with his like nasal. He had surgery. He's going to be out a couple of days, but n- nothing, you know, physically on his throwing shoulder or anything. But looks like a guy, high character guy, physically pretty special, but just going to need some help. And you got a rookie head coach who proved to be a very good coordinator who could help mold a quarterback, but to have a very, very high character slash good player kind of going through this, who I, I was listening to the GM shuffle and Jonathan Taylor said a couple months ago that like he knew what he was getting into. He signed a four-year contract. He was going to play it out and see what happens, right? And then I think this running back controversy hits. His agent surely wants to get him paid. The problem is, and we've talked about this over and over, when you ask for $16 million and that's you know 40% higher than the next, that's just not the way the world works. The reason Herbert got a little bit more than Hertz was because it was just a basic $5 million at. He didn't get $38 million more. That, that's not the way contracts work. Now, they can bitch and moan all they want, which I understand if I'm in their shoes, but the market is what it is. And Jonathan Taylor is coming off a bad year. To me, he would have more of a gripe if he was coming off that 1,800-yard uh, season where he had 18 touchdowns and was elite. Because the guy is, when healthy, an awesome player. I've had buddies in the league that thought two years ago he was the best running back in the NFL. And when you factor in the catching ability, might be the most complete running back in the NFL. That was when McCaffrey was hurt as well. But still, like, very, very special player. I think the one knock on him, at least I remember in college, like not coming out of you put the ball on the ground a little bit, but love this guy. I just think these public spats, you know, I, I don't really know what comes of them sometimes. So I, I think you just kind of got to ride it out. And this is this is part of being a head coach, man. This, this is hard. You never know what curveball is going to come. It's not just BP fastballs all day. The next day, you might just have your star player pissed off, screaming at the owner. Tweeting up a storm. It's the NFL. It's football. I mean, it happens in college too. You just, it's what makes this thing so entertaining. You just never know what's coming. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. First time, long time. Keep the profanity coming. It makes for an authentic and refreshing listen. I like where this guy's head's at. I've heard you mention Pro Bowl level players several times. And I wonder if the honor has lost some of its prestige. With so many players opting to just not go and alternatives filling or alternates filling their spots, how much does the value of the Pro Bowl quote unquote honor even bring? Kyler Murray's injury replacement Pro Bowl selection shouldn't even exist in the same galaxy as Patrick Mahomes' selection. Can a Pro Bowl selection carry any weight whatsoever after Tyler Huntley made it? Totally on board with this. I'm a big believer that there should be some separation, right? When Micah Parsons or Nick Bosa or Tyreek Hill make the Pro Bowl, that's a real Pro Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Trent Williams. like There are Zach Martin, pro bowlers that are just like Jason Kelsey, one of the best players in the league. Guy's elite. And then there are all the replacements. And if you're Derek Carr and you're a four-time pro bowler, actually, you're probably a two-time pro bowler. But when your career ends, maybe he makes another one. I'm a five-time pro bowler. We've all met a guy probably at some point in time in our life, even if we're not around the business, is like, this guy played in the NFL. This guy played in the NBA. And honestly, it might just be like one season. And that guy is a legend in that little town athletically. You know, maybe he's coaching like high school basketball. It's like, do you know that guy played for three seasons for the Los Angeles Clippers? Do you know this guy was in back-to-back training camps with the 1980 49ers practice squad guy? Like a legend. And then there are just really good players. And then there are star players. And when I view star play, when I say the word Pro Bowl, I think Deion Sanders. I think Ray Lewis, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, right? So, yeah, I I agree. I don't – it's why I think we've kind of leaned toward all pros. Are you an all pro? Uh, And those guys get more juice. But I hear you. I I don't know what to do. Maybe we make separate categories. Because at least, like, if you're an NBA all-star, like, 12 guys go basically – used to be from each conference. I know now they've kind of carried it over. But you know what I mean. Like, an all-star was an all-star. Same in baseball. In football, it's become very muddied. And I don't like muddying it because I don't view Tyler Huntley as a pro bowler. Like, I didn't view Derek Carr as a pro bowler certain seasons. Uh, You go to Wendy's for the spicy chicken sandwich. Why not Chick-fil-A? I work at CFA Corporate and will send you some free coupons. Well, I got to respond to this guy. Send him my email. I didn't say I go to Wendy's for the chicken spicy sandwich. I said, if I go to Wendy's, which is not very often and typically historically in my 30s would be late night, kind of hungry, order it, right, to get delivered because I've had a few pops, you know, and I'm kind of hungry. Chick-fil-A is dramatically better than Wendy's. Not debatable. And I, But I don't go to Chick-fil-A for the spicy chicken sandwich. I go to Chick-fil-A just for the Chick-fil-A sandwich. Hot take, not a huge spicy guy. I don't mind a little kick, but... I'm not looking to sweat, right? I'm a bald guy. Sweat easily. If I eat, whether I'm in a restaurant or whether I'm outside in 120, I'm if it's hot, I'm going to sweat. 
So I, I don't, I'm not a huge spicy chicken guy, but the spicy chicken at Wendy's of their whole menu, that's what I'm getting. I'm going to Chick-fil-A. I'm getting Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I'm getting Chick-fil-A strips. Fries are legit. If I'm being a fat ass, you got to milkshakes are pretty awesome. Got a lot going for you. I'm a, I'm a pro Chick-fil-A guy. When I lived in Walnut Creek, the line at Chick-fil-A was every bit as outrageous as Shake Shack. I think I mentioned that the other day. That was the word I was looking for. Or in and out The Chick-fil-A line in Walnut Creek, or just in general in the Bay Area, is always a minimum. I'm not even trying to undersell it. 50 cars. It is crazy. From lunchtime, little break. There was a little sweet spot from like 245 to 350. It was like a little over an hour, and then it just stayed jam-packed the entire day. Same thing with in and out So that that would uh, sometimes detour your boy from going to Chick-fil-A just because it was too long. Sending this from my burner account, I'm a big fan of the show. With all this running back talk, I was thinking about other positions that are replaceable, and I came up with the second-tier receivers. I'm all for paying the top 10 guys $25 million. But I would refuse to pay 18 to 20 million a year for a guy. I could get similar production in free agency of the draft, which seems to be stacked with wide receiver talent. I was thinking about this last night because I was kind of going through my DMs and I, I saw this. You could call this the Amari Cooper rule. When Amari Cooper first came in the NFL, I thought Amari Cooper was going to be, this is going to sound crazy, like a poor man's Jerry Rice. I, I thought he was going to go down as like an all time great. And it turns out he's not, but he's damn good. And Amari Cooper's on your team. He can get you seven to 10 touchdowns, you know, probably more like six to nine, six to eight, and get you 75 to 85 catches, get you over a thousand. He's a really good player. Great route runner, very productive. Sometimes, you know, it's like, is he playing through injuries? He can be a little weird that way. Doesn't always feel like he's all in because of the way he plays, but it works. But if you have Amari Cooper, and you you just have to pay because the going rate somewhere between 19 to like $22 million. But you can't pay some other wide receiver $28 million. So Amari Cooper just essentially becomes your one, which is not the end of the world, but is not ideal, right? You would much rather have Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill. I mean, you can name a bunch of guys. And this is the conundrum I see the 49ers are going to be in with Brandon Ayuk. Like Brandon Ayuk is probably Amari Cooper-ish, right? He's just, he's really good. But, and his market's going to be his market. Someone's willing to pay him, I'm sure, $19 million a year. But the 49ers already have a wide receiver who's kind of this unique hybrid wide receiver because he can't really run all the routes, but he dominates with a ball in his hands that they're paying a bunch of money to. I think they gave him $60 million. So can they afford to give Ayuk $19, $20 million a year while paying Debo and Kittle? That's a lot of money. So you kind of find yourself in no man's. Now, if you somehow traded Debo and got a bunch of picks, could you give Ayuk $20 $20 million a year and have him as your number one wide receiver. But is he good enough to be your number one wide receiver? Maybe he is if you got McCaffrey and Kittle, but that's kind of that Amari Cooper conundrum. There, There's a small amount of guys that are like, I can just force feed this guy. Cooper Cup's a guy that a little out of sight, out of mind because he got hurt. But two years ago, holy shit. If you can just give me every single game I go into, they know I'm coming at you and it does not matter. And, you know, they, that's a much smaller list than I think we realize. T. Higgins, I think, falls under this category. Really good player. Like T. Higgins on my team. But once we start talking second contract, it gets complicated. And this is not Madden football. This is a real business where there's a salary cap and you have to build your team. Huge fan of your work. God, we got some positive guys in my DMs right now. 
Feels like you have a great perspective and are able to really diagnose content that is worth presenting on the pod as opposed to just talking about a lot of fluff content. I appreciate it. Been been doing this, been in this business now about a decade. But honestly, I, I've been listening to sports content. Uh, I listened to it a lot more when I was younger. I, I started listening to Jim Rome probably in the mid-90s. I mean, I just, this is, this has been something my dad, where we lived in, in Davis growing up, KNBR, which is kind of the, I mean, it's not as big anymore. You know, radio's kind of dying. But what WFAN is on the, uh, you know, in, in New York or WEI at Boston, it's that. And we just, sports talk was just always on. So you kind of have a feel. And every market's different. Uh, I, I just... I got. I've been listening to Colin Coward for well over a decade. You kind of know what matters, and my style's different. Like I'm just not going to talk about the Cowboys. Talk about the Cowboys, but I'm also interested by the Cowboys when interesting things happen, uh, and that's why part of this podcasting business is a little different. You just kind of let it rip, and I, I got a pretty good idea what works and what doesn't. But I appreciate that. Anyways, I'm a big Patriot fan, and have to imagine that Bill is riding the wave until he becomes the most winningest coach of all time, and then probably calls it a career. I personally feel like Mayo has to be the number one candidate to legitimately replace him because he shared a defensive background as such a great rapport within the organization. I would rather see them hire an offensive guy like the OC from the Lions or Seattle, given the state of the league, but I'm curious if you think that Kraft would actually be bold enough to pivot toward the unfamiliarity to catch up. Well, you kind of find yourself in a conundrum, right? And I, it, whenever Saban retires... Are they a lock to hire a guy that worked under Nick Saban? Like, I'm sure they would throw the kitchen sink at Kirby, which he would decline because he went to Georgia and they can pay him the same. Would they go to Lane or would they just go outside? Would they just try to hire like Lincoln Riley? I'm just I'm just asking this question out loud. I would go. I'd imagine they hire a Saban guy. Some Saban descendant would be would be my guess. And I think familiarity Part of because you like what they brought. Now, it's different. Alabama hasn't lost, really, right? I mean, they had a shitty season last year and what they win, 10, 11 games. Belichick's going through some bumpy waters, and the league has dramatically changed. So it's impossible to even take an educated guess what Bob Kraft would do, right? They've had the same coach for what feels like 25 years. I don't know the exact number. I guess it's 2020. I mean, 23 years. So they, we, we have no clue what they would look for in a coaching hire. None. Like, if Kyle Shanahan disappeared tomorrow, I know what the 49ers would look for. An offensive coach. Why? It's what they always hire. Jim Harbaugh. Tom Sula was an embarrassment. Chip Kelly. Kyle Shanahan. They tried to hire Josh McDaniels. Like, they have a type. They have the Eagles. What do they hire? Doug Peterson. Sirianni. Andy. Right? They Before that, when they had Ray Rhodes, they had John Gruden and Sean Payton. Like, as offensive coordinator, offense is a big part of what Jeffrey Lurie has thought. I, I got no clue about uh, about Robert Kraft. So if I just had to take the safer out, I'd say, yeah, I just they'd hire Gerard Mayo. But I would 100 percent imagine that Jonathan Kraft, the younger, probably more progressive, forward thinking future owner of the team, would probably want to talk to some of those guys. Like, who is the next Brian Dable? who ironically they had on the staff. Who was the next Josh McDaniels as a coordinator, right? <laughs> as a head coach, potentially. You know what I mean? So I, I would say everything would be on the table. But yeah, I think it's fair to say that Gerard Mayo, assuming the defense maintains, they're comfortable with him. Also, who's their quarterback? Like, is Mac Jones a quarterback? Or do they kind of let Gerard Mayo draft a quarterback? I, I don't know. It, it'd be... 
it's going to be fascinating because whether it's this season, whether it's in two seasons, it, I, even if it goes weird, right? Even if they miss the playoffs the next couple of years, let's say he doesn't get fired this year. They give him another year and then he gets, he goes like eight and nine and seven and 10. And then Bill retires fired. However, you know, I, I would imagine mutually depart. However, they word it. Are people knocking down the doors to get that job? You go, well, Robert Kraft, very, very loyal. You'd be like, well, yeah, he's loyal because the guy was fucking winning 13 games a year. Going, you know, going to the Super Bowl every other season. Winning six of them. I mean, his loyalty was created out of his greatness. So it's easy to be loyal when you're having success. It's easy to be loyal when things are going really well. How many owners are loyal when things get a little rocky? And this is why this season is going to be very, very telling. Really is. I think the Patriots... Like I, part of the way I do my show is like, what's fascinating? Part of the reason the Cowboys aren't that fascinating is like, they're really good. I think they're, they're going to be compete to win the division. They should compete to win the NFC. Now, when that changes, that's when to me it gets interesting. When they lose games, right? Or when they win, like we'll, we'll react to it. But ultimately, they're not that controversial. They're just, they're good. They're well run right now. They got a good team. The Patriots, to me, a lot of fucking weird shit going on. Belichick fighting for his job. Mac Jones, Bill O'Brien. Craft getting edgy, a lot of people around the team reporting that no, like this is getting weird. Like, I like that. Like, I don't I don't feel like McCarthy's getting that weird. Like the Packers, what's Jordan Love? Like that to me is the story. Other than that, like LaFleur ain't going anywhere. They ain't gonna fire Gudikins. Is Jordan Love any good? To me, the, the Patriots have like eight different elements. Like, are they just gonna finish last in that division? Or could they start knocking off some of these teams? Because if they did, that would be fascinating. Because that would be a whole domino effect. Miami, New York. Hi, John. Big fan. Listens daily. Do you think that Dak is going to be sacked more since Zeke is gone and he was an excellent pass blocker? You know, it's funny. That's something just I'm glad Zeke got a little credit for that. We don't talk about enough when it comes to running backs. Well, do you do it all? Right? Do you do it all? Ultimately, I don't pay... Devontae Adams to block, but he will block. There's nothing he can't do. Short routes, long routes, intermediate routes, block, play the run game. Great teammate. Like he he does, he's a total package. How many running backs in the NFL? Like it's a big knock on Saquon. Not a great pass protector. What do we talk about with pass protection? I don't know. Just blocking for the most important guy on the team. Adrian Peterson, not a great pass protector. Now, he was running for 1,800 yards a season, I felt like. So you get away with it. Also not great in the passing game. You can be flawed if your skill's super elite. Like you would say Derrick Henry is not an ideal pass catching back, right? It's weird because he's a great running back. He's great when he's moving in space because of his speed and his feet. But he's not like, you don't view him as Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey on like wheel routes and screen passes. It's not just not really his game, even though it's not because he can't do it. It's just, it's just not going to be the best way to use him from a schematic standpoint, but he's so good and he can carry your team and he's proven it time and time again between the tackles that like you kind of deal with it. Uh, So yeah, I, I think it's a question mark now who, to me, the running back, are, are they just going to be, I think they're going to morph into what McCarthy was with Green Bay for a long time. Much more pass happy, much less reliant on the run. P- part of Green, all, all Packer fans know this, like a big knock was we couldn't be really physical between the run when we had to in the playoffs. We were so reliant on the passing game because it was so good in the regular season. Trust me, I, I was there. 
the year they won the Super Bowl in the first round when they upset us in Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure, if memory serves me correct, is it James Starks was a running back, tall, linear guy? I think he had like a buck 40. They were really good running the ball in that playoff run. They had to definitely in that uh, the NFC Championship game against the Bears in that cold weather when Cutler got injured. So, and it's not just running the ball. There's a physical nature that Zeke brought. That's why I think teams, you know, Belichick's interested because he does still have skills. Goal line runner, pass protection, clearly a smart football player. He just isn't fast anymore. Okay, big fan of the pod. Probably the most casual golf fan you'll ever meet, but I like go low. Even though the Bengals lost some pieces on defense, Bates and Bell, do you think their defense will still be able to maintain their edge over the top AFC teams with Lou Anarumo's scheme? I hope I'm saying that name right. Uh, clearly, I just call him Coach Lou, who I, I would say this. When you have an excellent defensive coordinator, and I saw this with Vic Fangio, I think you saw this with like D'Amico and Sala. Uh, I think you've seen this historically with the Ravens and some of their defensive coordinators, Wink Martindale. I think the Giants think they have that with Wink now. I think the big reason Miami went to get uh, Fangio is players come in and come out, right? I- ideally, you, you know, defense is a big part as much as it's about schematics and the X's and O's. You you cannot be a great defensive coach without the Jimmys and the Joes. It's it's absolutely impossible. There, there are just some things that are... Im- you cannot be Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick without impact players on defense. Now, once you give an impact player... To Fangio, to Belichick, to Parcells, you know, to the great defensive, to, to I think Tomlin, LeBeau, they they kick your ass, that they work you, right? No different than the NBA. You can't be a great NBA coach without a top twenty player. But I can give Kevin Durant to five coaches, and if I give them to Phil Jackson or Steve Kerr, they're going to be better. Or Eric Spolstra than a lot of the random coaches, right? But I think if Coach Lou is a legit coach, which listen, I've watched them now just because they're playing in so many big games. They're so physical. They feel so well coached. And I would say for the most part, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you watch your team much closer closer than I do. But I, I remember if you put Joe Burrow on like the 13, 14, 15 version of the Bengals, I remember watching the Bengals. I think it would have been would have been like 2015, week one. They played the Raiders. It was Jack Del Rio's first game as the Raider coach, and they beat the shit out of him. And I remember watching that team in warmups. Every defensive line, Dunlop, I think Johnson, their defensive line was huge. Their linebackers were massive. They had Pac-Man. They had uh, the tall safety from Boise. Forget his name. Kind of a weird last name. Offensively, they were they were loaded. Whitworth and uh, little good running backs got back. They had a uh, good tight end. They had good wide receiver. I mean, that team was stacked. That team might have been definitely defensively more talented than the defense you have now. But I think your coach schematically and just it's not just schematically. There's a there's an ability as a coach to communicate like it's not just Andy's great plays. It's he's good with players, right? It's not just Pete Carroll's defense like Pete Carroll's good with players. You know, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, they're good with players. Part of what makes a good coach is not just your ability on the whiteboard or your ability to think about football and then take an idea to the whiteboard, to the field. It's also just, can you just hang out with them at lunch? Can you interact with them? Can you motivate them? And I, it clearly feels from the outside that when I watch your team, like this is the tight knit group, a group that plays well together. And there's a physicality and you can always watch teams in the league and definitely in college. 
that like is physicality and toughness a standard on defense? Like, is it is it something that's just we are not going to tolerate anything less than X? I've watched Jim Harbaugh's teams now for well over a decade. If you're not cracking skulls on defense, you're just not going to play for them. You're just not. If you are not smart and physical, it's hard to play for Belichick. It just is. Like, you can't be dumb and be a puss. You're just not going to get on the field, right? And, and some franchises, if you are fast or whatever, you can do it. But I, I think one thing you have with Cincinnati, and I think you have this with Marvin, you're just, Andy wasn't quite good enough. Though I think that one year that he hurt his thumb, I thought you guys had a chance. Physicality always translates. And that's what's been weird about the Bills, right? Is last year, like Sean McDermott is a tough guy. He, he's a tough guy. A tough, disciplined guy. Uh, and his team just kind of got shoved around. Now, it could have been a factor of all the different circumstances, right? Snowstorms, uh, DeMar, just they had a lot of weird shit happening. But I, I, I've always been very, very impressed with uh, with the Bengals' physicality. This might be a first for you, but I'm a woman who's writing to you. Not my guy using my account to write you. 49ers are on my team too. However... I've adopted Dan Campbell as my favorite coach from watching Hard Knocks. Love Dan Campbell as well. I also found it totally entertaining to watch the train wreck of the Cardinals season fall apart. I've become a much bigger NFL fan in general from watching Hard Knocks. I agree it could be more focused on football and less produced, forcing the family life stuff ETC. My guess is a lot of women like me are watching these shows and becoming bigger fans like I did. Maybe at this point, Hard Knocks is less for hardcore football fans and more appealing to people like me who followed one team and now love to follow the whole sport in general. I don't disagree with you. And it's why I always try to remove myself. Like the quarterback series, I, I made it through three episodes. I just, I haven't finished it. I've just been busy. You just, I, I'm not allowed to just watch football 24 seven. I do this for a job. Like sometimes on like a Tuesday, you know, she wants to watch a serial killer show. And it's like, ah, can I, we watch the fourth episode of the quarterback show? And honestly, it doesn't do that much for me. Like, yeah, I knew Kirk Cousins was a great guy. I knew Mariota, high character guy. Like, I'm not really learning that much. But it's not really for me. And I understand Hard Knocks, not for me anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm glad to hear, like, these shows, the more people that like the NFL, the better for my business. So I want the most people humanly possible to like the sport. I I don't need, I I already can consume enough information. So I talked, I have talked a lot of shit about Hard Knocks. Uh, I will watch it because we're going to talk about it on the show, Rogers. But at the end of the day, if people like it and people are watching it, they're not going to cancel it. So what my opinion, like to me, it's just boring relative to what it used to be. But I'll be the first to admit, like things change, adapt or die. They had to change. One, the teams have a lot more juice now, are not going to allow them to show guys getting cut. Like I understand from a jet standpoint when they say it's inhumane to show someone, I mean, I, I I disagree with that a little bit, especially if you're just like, hey, man, we need to get your playbook. It's one thing if you're showing them, like undressing them and calling them a loser uh, or lying to them. But I, I get on their standpoint, not wanting to show that. For me, the authenticity of what training camp is, it takes away from that. And if we don't get to see the authenticity of the coaches meetings, which I also understand if I'm on the team side, not wanting to show my coaches talk a bunch of shit about the players on our team, right? Because we always show the good stuff or we show the guys that we know that like can kind of, I think last year on Hard Knocks, Deuce Staley played a pretty big role. 
And they did some stuff with him and DeAndre Swift, him kind of pushing into that. And they'll still, I'm sure, do that. I would imagine the Hard Knocks is going to be focused on Hackett, Rogers, Sala, the comments, Dalvin Cook. I mean, this one, it doesn't get any easier than this Hard Knocks, which will be entertaining in itself just on Rogers. But are you gonna, is it going to be a four-hour show on Rogers? you got to have to do some other stuff. And they will surely pick an undrafted free agent. They'll surely going to pick a, a assistant coach. Uh, but I, I hear you. And I'm glad you like it. And I found the Lions one to be pretty entertaining as well. But uh, it's just not doing as much for me as it used to. And it's hard. And maybe that's just part of life. Once you've watched something for 20 years, it's not quite as entertaining. So maybe, I don't know if you've watched back. I mean, I was watching in like the Ray Lewis Baltimore Ravens days (laughs) as a little kid. I thought it was incredible. Remember when we first got HBO and Hard Knocks came on? Like, this is the greatest show I've ever seen in my entire life. So maybe that's part of it, right? If you you first start listening to a band by their seventh album, you're like, ah, it's not quite the same. That's just the way humans are wired. So I, I'm probably guilty of that. And it just gets back to the, the early 2000s hard knocks were were special times. They, they really were. And I'll just be nostalgic about it forever. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, ha- have a great day. We will talk probably in another day. We will keep the football content rolling. Thanks to my producer on the audio, Mike. My producer on the video, James. Crushing it in the content, audio, video game. Uh, I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be heard. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.